0: To me, mercy is kind of like giving someone like the benefit of doubt or maybe like sharing some kindness towards someone who may not deserve it. Let's say in sports, giving people mercy, like, you know, you're better than them, like give them a break. Forgive someone. What is mercy? Mercy, I guess to me, is love and openness and acceptance and listening. Just giving them grace, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Mercy is his forgiveness of our humanness, of us being human. What is mercy? Maybe like a sense of empathy so you can understand what the other person is feeling. Yeah, I I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would concur. That's really good. Good morning. I, I love this. I really love this. And I love you. you, you, Yeah, sure. (laughs) I really do. We're talking about today continuing how to love like Jesus. And as I was meditating even this morning, I was thinking, man, I just love that he's given me such a love for you. Like such a love for you. I don't feel like I just need to teach at you. I feel like I get to share with you every single time. And I love that. And so we are continuing week two. Here's the theme verse for these first three weeks saying this in Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. We're talking this week about loving mercy. And yet we see, and and Dave mentioned it last week, that to love mercy, you also must act justly, and the way to do that is to walk humbly with our God. All three are found together, and they are found perfectly in the life of Jesus. And so we're going to be hanging out in John chapter 8, if you have your Bibles. Will you turn there? And as you do, I want you to think about this. what we asked those people in that video, what in the world is mercy, do you ever find yourself getting a little sloppy with Christian definitions? <laughs> to love mercy, just, you know, just love, love, love people, right? Or Let me get specific, because mercy and grace are different. Oftentimes, they're next to each other, because it's actually very challenging to have one without the other, but to, to, for the sake of definition, here's, here's the definition. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Do you see the difference? Eugene Cho has this brilliant illustration about driving over the speed limit. Has anyone done that ever? I got my first speeding ticket at 16, year one. And I blame my dad because he told me the phrase, just don't go 10 miles per hour over the speed limit. That's the, just don't do 10 over. Anything under that's fine. And I took his word for it. <laughs> and then I got pulled over. And then I got a ticket. Then I went to traffic school. Then there was a moment, because I was 16, at some point I'm sitting there with my dad in front of a judge. And he gives me this big old spiel about, the, you know, that it's a privilege to drive. And I remember sitting there like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, And we get to the very end of the conversation with a judge, me and my dad. And he goes, okay, I think we've learned our lesson. I mean, we paid the price. We did everything, right? We paid for travel. So, I mean, it was, it was expensive. 16. Oh. And then he looked at me and he goes, so we've learned that if the speed limit is 65, and I said, I'll only go up to 10 miles per hour over. <laughs> and I didn't know that was the wrong answer at age 16, because my dad had taught me that. My dad's like, no, you don't say that in front of the judge. <gasps> And then I noticed everyone's face because I could read the room. I'm like, ah, just kidding. It's a speed limit. Limit. See, when you go past the speed limit, you're wrong, right? <laughs> uh, and you know what you deserve? A ticket. And you know what you deserve? To pay for it. And because I've been pulled over more than once for speeding, not in the past few years, but I, when I was young, I got it a lot. <coughs> and I got out of all the tickets except for that first one. But... I know what they ask, right? When they walk up to your car, if you've done it, you know what they ask, right? They, th- before they say the whole pull out your license registration thing, see, I know. Uh, before they do that, they say this, do you know how fast you were going? And that's the moment we all lie, right? No, I don't. Was I going fast? I didn't even. <laughs> or you turn into me and just start crying. I can't even control it and just start crying. Any police officers in the room are like, you're one of those. I am. <laughs> um, gets the license registration, goes back to the car, but every once in a while, They look at you and say, what? I'm going to let you go with a warning. That's mercy. Because you deserve the ticket. That's mercy. Grace would be something very different. Grace would actually be being handed the ticket, and then the police officer going, hold on a second, and pulling out $450 and saying, here, unmerited favor, getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, not getting what you do. So here's the question, do you love it? (laughs) Mercy. Do you love people not getting what they deserve, hold on, from you? When someone treats you poorly, do you just love the opportunity to not treat them poorly in response? (laughs) I'll tell you what I love. I love mercy for myself. (laughs) Grace and mercy are really wonderful until you have to give them away, have you noticed? And notice Micah 6.8 doesn't say, act justly and live mercifully. It doesn't actually say that. It's almost implied though that if you love it, you will. But he starts with the heart behind it. Do you love it? I love myself not getting what I deserve. When it comes to punishment, and you know what? If I'm honest, I like when other people do. I I think um, other people deserve justice, and I deserve mercy. Anyone else? That's humbly to admit. That's humbling to admit. But as I've been studying this passage, I was thinking deeply that I'm going to have to go on a journey with the Lord, and I hope you're ready for it this morning to see maybe and begin with the fact that it's not easy to love mercy for others, although it's really easy to love it for ourselves. And so we're going to read a story of a moment where we get to see Jesus doing both, somehow acting justly and loving mercy, merc, mercifully because he loved it as he walked humbly with our God. So let's read about it in John chapter eight. It says this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. What did he write on the ground? Commentators have had a lot of opinions, but here's where I've landed on that one. It doesn't say. (laughs) So we keep going. Uh, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this... Will you pray with me to ask God to pour out his blessing on on us that we might love mercy like he does? Heavenly Father, here we are. And I know during this message, we may be confronted with more of ourselves. So Lord, I pray, would you give us not only just a love for mercy, but a desire to love it? a desire to grow, a desire to be transformed by your words. Lord, I thank you for this story, this true story. And Lord, I pray that we would get to live out true stories like this. Take us on a journey. Open our hearts. (laughs) Come, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, how we need you. Amen and amen, church. Amen. So here's the situation. A woman is brought from the teachers of the law to Jesus. And it says twice in verses 3 and 4 that she wasn't just accused, she was caught in the act of adultery. And so the reason she's brought, right, is to actually set up a trap for Jesus. But notice in verse 5, Jesus is not asked whether or not she's guilty. Why? Because she was caught, He's asked about the penalty. See, they knew that Jesus knew Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, which reads this in the Law of Moses, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. The Mosaic Law, in other words, said that adultery was punishable by execution. And so in John chapter 8, they are bringing a woman who is caught so that they they can trap Jesus. Why? Because they knew, they had heard stories about this Jesus who loved mercy, who gave away compassion, who gave away love, who was giving away grace, who was proclaiming all these really beautiful things to give people what they don't deserve and not give them what they do. And they had likely heard that he preached in the Sermon on the Mount that he also upholds the law. not a jot or tittle will be removed from the law until it is fully fulfilled. So they knew that somehow he loved mercy and he knew justice. He knew both. And they knew by bringing her that he would be trapped. Here's why. Because if he chooses to act justly, and give this woman what she deserves, he would trample on the woman, or if he acted mercifully, he would trample on the law. Here's the trap. Do you see it? What will Jesus do? Verse 6 says this, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. We don't know what he said, but I do kind of like just the visual of him bending down and getting in the dirt. Not removing himself from it. I just like that visual. And then he continues, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let Any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her? Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So what he does is he's on the ground. Then he gets up and he never says a stone shouldn't be thrown, does he? What does he say? Look back, verse 7. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. He never denies that there needs to be punishment. See, forgiveness or giving mercy requires that the pain or the penalty is somehow absorbed. So what happens next? Verse nine. At this question, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first until only jesus was left with the woman still standing there notice he says the one to throw the first stone the only one who can actually put the justice that can declare that can be the judge in this moment the one without sin and what happens everyone leaves but someone doesn't jesus why because he's the only one that was standing in that circle that is without sin. The only one who was sinless that could actually throw a stone in the direction of someone who, based on the Mosaic law, deserved it, was still standing there. So before I move on, let me ask you this question though. Where do you feel like you might be in this story I wonder if there's times in your life where you felt like the person in the center. Maybe some of you, that's all you feel. You feel like you're even sitting in church and there's a lot of people around you that have a lot of judgmental eyes in your direction. And you can resonate with that woman. And I wonder if maybe some of you, that's all you can resonate with. But I even wonder if there's people in here that might be surprised if you start to really think about it that you do feel like in certain relationships, like you are the woman sitting in the middle and people with their judgmental eyes about your parenting style. Ooh, Can you relate? or their judgmental eyes based on your past behavior, or their judgmental eyes in every other area of your life, any area of your life, maybe you felt like the woman. Maybe there's a lot of us who it's a lot easier to be the one on the outside, isn't it? And allow the rocks to be just a visual for judgment. Friends, this is one of the hardest things to see in ourselves, and I believe this this story becomes a mirror where we can actually look at ourselves and go, yes, isn't it so much easier to look at someone else in the center? Because it feels a lot better. It feels a lot better, I feel a lot better about me when I'm thinking about their mess. It's a lot easier for me to distract myself from what I deserve when I can just think about what she doesn't, what he doesn't. And here's the problem with rocks. They don't actually hit sin. They hit people. And friends, here's the problem with our judgmentalism. I say judgmentalism because I'm with you. The problem with it is that it doesn't make people stop sinning less. It just makes them stop coming to church. And so I ask you that question. Have you ever been the one that's felt judged? (laughs) And maybe they're not even wrong for their judgment in our direction, or maybe we're not even wrong in our judgment towards someone else's direction because we can look and we can confess whether it comes to ourselves or someone else. And I love that definition of confession. It just means this, I agree with you, God. We can confess, "I I am not as I should be, and it's easy to look at anyone else because neither are they. And so what happens in the story? It continues. Jesus asks her, who, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, no one, sir. Jesus' beautiful response. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, now go and leave your life of sin. This is wild. (laughs) Jesus is saying, yes, you're guilty. And I who could don't condemn you. How is he able to do that? How can Jesus say, I don't condemn you, and here's why, the beauty of the gospel, the reason he can look at her and say, I don't condemn you is because he will be condemned for her. Rocks should be thrown, but they won't be thrown at her because the one who could actually throw them is the one who takes them. Spears ought to be thrown, but they go into his side. Crown of thorns should come down, but it goes on to the one who's least deserving. The one who can judge sin chooses to receive, to absorb the punishment that sin requires. This is the beauty of the gospel. At the cross, Jesus combines Watch this. He combines mercy and justice so perfectly because he humbly and obediently walked with God all the way to the cross. Jesus is not a kind of compromise. He's not kind of a halfway between strong and tender. Somehow, he's perfectly both. He is perfectly just, and he is perfectly, mercifully. Mercy and justice don't fight in him. They unite beautifully in him. That's who Jesus is. They come together beautifully in him. Second Corinthians chapter 521 illustrates this beautifully. It says this, that God made him who knew, who had no sin, again, the one who was sinless, therefore not needing mercy, that God made him who had no sin to become sin, to be sin for us. The mercy due us is taken out on him at the cross so that in him we might become the righteousness. What does righteousness mean? Righteousness means right relationship, that we might be declared right just before a perfect, holy God. Can we for a moment behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Can you just consider it? What was due us taken on him? Mercy. Taken out on him? Justice. Why? Because he walked humbly with our God, the one who didn't need to humble himself, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's Jesus. is that wild? Is that shocking to you? So what's the takeaway? <laughs> Notice in that last verse, verse 11, Jesus gives mercy, yes, but he also gives challenges those who have received it to grow in it. He doesn't just leave us with a wow and walk away. Listen to him, verse 11. After he asks, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. There's mercy. Jesus declared now or go now and leave your life of sin go now. So in other words, change. Become a person who is changed by the mercy. Or for us, become someone who begins to love mercy. And notice the order. Jesus does not say, go and sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. Did you catch it? He says this. First, I don't condemn you now in light of that radical, beautiful mercy and grace. Now live changed. Not change, and then I won't condemn you. Do you see the order? Because the order is incredibly significant. If we think we have to change, then we're going to run to find the power to change in and of ourselves. We're going to look at the law and go, okay, I just need to be better. I just need to do more. I just need to be better. I just need to try harder. I just need to have mercy. And I'll tell you this, your willpower is not that strong. (laughs) So what do you do? How in the world can we change? How can we become people that love mercy? Here's where we go. We start at the cross. where the the power to change is going to be found in someone other than us. Isn't that good news? (laughs) The cross is where we find the power to change because the power we begin to rely on is not our own, the power to be forgiven, the power to receive mercy so that we can begin to love it. I used to work with high school students a lot, and I really love working with high school students because they're just ready at all times, like, I'm ready to change, I'm just ready. I think some of us get so caught in our little patterns, we're like, well, I'll grow a little, but not risk a lot, (laughs) you know? Risk is scary, but high school students are like, oh, what do you want me to do? I'm like, oh, that's scary. one summer during summer camp. So you, a lot of you know I worked for six years doing summer camps. Um, and one particular summer, we wanted students to understand these truths, like the mercy that they can receive and how to live changed by it. <laughs> so we did this kind of me. Now looking back I'm like, in hindsight, I'm like, that was crazy that we, well, we did it. So I did it for 10 weeks straight with 50 girls a week. So 50 girls, we would split up the guys and the girls and do it separately. But here's what we would do. We would be at night. <laughs> It's terrible. I know what I'm saying, but here we go. You ready? Poor guys. Here we go. Uh, we would bring them at night. There would be this epic campfire. This is like out in the woods. And we would bring them all around and we'd come out. And me and all the gal leaders would stand up there and go, okay, mercy. Not getting what you do deserve. It's going to be really hard to love it until you receive it. <laughs> you need to receive it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little activity, and we're going to have someone play the part of God for the activity. So we'd have someone come on the stage, you know, like, play the part of God. And everyone's like, ooh. And the God character would say, there are two rules to this game. And all the girls are like, you know. Rule number one, be all in. How's the Habsie thing working out for you anyways? All in. Rule number two, you don't have to listen to any. One else but me. Got it? Did you catch it? And then the God character would leave, and everyone would be like, bye, and then here we would come, me and my friends. You guys ready? Okay, here's the thing. In order to understand and receive mercy, to understand the power of grace, in order to understand both, here's what we're gonna do. Uh, we need to know what we're getting mercy from. Okay, so we're gonna actually, here's what's gonna happen. Underneath your chairs, and they'd look under their chairs, and there'd be white T-shirts. We're like, go ahead and put those on. So they put the white T-shirts, you know, over their shirts, and then we go. Okay, and under there is also Sharpie markers. Go ahead and grab those. What we're gonna do is this. It's gonna be a really fun, fun game. So we're gonna partner up. You know, twosies, twosies, and then we're gonna partner up, and then you're gonna confess your sin to each other, and then the person who's being, you know, confessed to is gonna take the Sharpie marker, write all the sins on the t-shirt and then they're going to flip flop applesauce we'll be right back and we would leave for a couple minutes and the girls are like are they serious <laughs> and the one girl's like we'd like watch them you know and they're like I lied once you know and it would be like liar you know <clears throat> um, I mean I, I guess I compare all the time and there were some girls that just went for it from the start. It was almost like they're maybe the first time they'd really wanted to go for it and to not hide. But usually after about five minutes, one of the leader, gal leaders would come back and go, hey guys, you can totally just do the surface stuff. That is, that is your choice. But I wonder if some of you, It's time. Here we are with your church group, with the people you're going home with, and the people that you can continue hiding from or you can go there, choice is yours. And we would leave and the students would go there. Lust, self-harm, self-hatred. Hatred of people. I mean, and their shirts would be filled. And by the time we'd come back out after, mind you, like five minutes, we'd come back out and go, okay, are you ready for the next part of the activity? At this point, they're like mad at us. Like, yes. We're like, great. And then, because we worked with high school students, they always do the whole like first question, then you ask it again, hoping for a bigger response. Right? And she's like, are you guys ready? And they're like, yeah. And then you're like, are you ready? in high schoolers are like, yes. Yeah. Some girl's like, I hate you. I'm like, what? <laughs> that happened once. I'm like, write that down. Write that down. That's an issue. Okay. Before we take care of it, we gotta, we gotta uh, how many of you, you just have a lot of baggage, like a lot of baggage, and hands just go up. And so we would hand out backpacks filled with rocks. And so now they put on these backpacks filled with rocks. Okay, how many of you would say that you're a slave to the opinions of other people? A lot of hands would go up. And we'd take these chains and we'd kind of like chain like this, and then, all right, how many of you look in the mirror, gals, and you think that's not good enough for you, even though when God made you, he said, very good. That's exactly how I want you. It's not good enough for you. Lots of girls' hands go up, and so we'd hand these, like, uh, mirrors attached to rocks, but it was, like, shattered, so now they're holding rocks, holding baggage, holding everything, and we go, it feels like that, doesn't it? You ready to get rid of it? Okay, here's our plan. You ready? Run up that hill. And everyone's like, wait, what? And then the competitive one, you know who you are, or maybe you don't. You're at the marathon. You would start. And there always was like the first one who's like, and they would just start running up the hill. And then slowly everyone's like, I think she's serious. And so they'd kind of get, you know, they'd start running, they get to the top of the hill, and they're like, yeah, and there'd be another volunteer at the top that would go like this, good. Run back this time, Care. And they're like, for, for, for sure, yeah, 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 You know, and then they're running down to they get to the bottom of the hill and other volunteers, they're like, yes, you did it. They're like, I did do it. Now do it again. Yeah. And so then they run to the top of the hill and they're running, they're running, they're running. Quick pause of the story. Do you remember the God character? Do you remember rule number two? What was it? You don't have to listen to anyone else but me. So this is really important for you to understand this story. If you miss this part, the story will be very confusing and I wouldn't look like a Bible teacher. (laughs) Me and my friends are not playing the part of God. Me and my friends who are lining this hill are playing the part of the world, playing the part of your thoughts, playing the part of your parents' thoughts, playing the part of anyone else other than God's thoughts. Does this clear? Beautiful. Pay close attention. (laughs) Run up the hill. You can fix yourself. You got this. You can be strong enough to overcome it. You got this. And they're like, I do. And they're running. You know what I used to do? Because it was the thing that I heard more than anything else was this. Beat her. Be faster than her. Beat her. And the girl's like, I will. And then they start running. And then they get to the bottom. And then they're like. (laughs) By the way, the hill is a metaphor called life where we run to try to fix ourselves, where we sprint to try to beat others, where we run and showcase how strong we are. And I remember watching and you could just see everyone's response to their life. There's the really competitive fast one and there she goes and she's fast. And then there's the desperate one who it looks like she's finally going for it to go. I don't wanna do this anymore so I'm gonna try and it feels like my last straw and she's running. And everyone's running. Because we are really convincing that this world is all about you fixing yourself. The self-help section at the library grows, which should tell us something. (laughs) I wonder if it's working. And so they'd run up and down, and it would be about, ready for it, the 14-minute mark that we would send the God character back. Truth is, we wouldn't send him. He'd send himself. And he'd always start with a whisper right in the center. Why are you running? And we always started with a whisper, which was interesting. It's almost like wondering who's paying attention. Why are you running and where is it getting you? Church, aren't you exhausted? Trying to fix yourself? I did this, like I said, for 10 weeks straight. One eighth grade girl was my favorite. She was running and she was fast. And the God character stopped her and he goes, hey, real fast, why are you running? She stops. Because he told us to run. He goes, where's it getting you? She goes, up and down. I'm tired. Aren't you tired? And he goes, it was so beautiful. I remember I was watching. I was paying close attention to this one. He goes, do you know why I sent my son? And she had it memorized. You sent your son to die on the cross for my sins. And he goes, yes. Which sins? And she was so cute. She goes, the sins of the world. And he leaned in like I believe a good heavenly father would and goes, which sins, my girl? And she dropped the rocks took off the change which by the way theologically was correct had no locks <laughs> dropped the backpack and the, one of the reasons i think i remember it so visibly uh, is what she did next she turns around and she goes stop running they lied to you and i'm like no sh- you're ruining it sh- girl. Shh you could not get this girl to shut up. She's like, stop running. Stop running. She would run and she'd like grab a friend. I thought I was going to slide. I didn't. And she'd grab a friend and then what she would do is she'd bring them to Jesus. And she's like, that's all you need. That's all you need. And then she'd grab another friend and it was so wild to watch this girl. She was running this time, but it was running from freedom, not to find it. You can stop running, church, to achieve what Christ has already accomplished on your behalf. He gives you what you don't deserve, and then you can love it for yourself enough to give it away for others. So she would run and go, it's already paid. It's already covered. Live like you're free because you are. And she would bring them to Jesus. By the way, can you remember the first person that brought you here? brought you to Jesus? Come back to that moment. Who invited you to church? Who shared their faith with you? Who was the person that so loved mercy, not just for themselves, that they gave it away to someone else? Who was it? Was it a youth? Anyone? Was anyone a youth pastor? Yes. Anyone a neighbor? Show of hands. Come on. Campuses even. Yes. Yes, a neighbor, a neighbor, someone who got out of the comfort zone of just getting into their driveway and going to the comfort of their own home and then reached out to you. Anyone a parent? Anyone have a parent do it? Praise be to God, right? A grandparent. Anyone have praying grandmothers? Yes, (laughs) this guy's like, I do. And if you are a grandmother in this room, we need a lot more praying grandmothers. We do. Friends, Let's not rely on our own effort anymore to change. Let's hang out consistently at the cross. Receive love. Receive mercy. Love it enough to give it away. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, we are so undeserving of even the chance to have relationship with you in prayer in this instant. That is not what we deserve. We deserve to be very far from you, running and sprinting for acceptance. So, Father, we confess we are not as we should be. The world is not as it should be. Lord, would you give us a love for the mercy you've so freely given to us that you acted justly on our behalf. Teach us how to walk with you, we pray. And all God's children said, amen.